So we're in the middle of a series um, that we're calling This Is Us. And um, like I said last week, I know this is TV show stuff. Like we're not going to depress you all, all morning um, like the TV show often does. Um, we're, we're walking through um, really our vision and mission statement and more precisely our mission statement and just giving you guys an idea of who we are as a church, what we're about, kind of focusing on some of the, um, the things we really want to be, um, to be unified in and have common language in and understand where we're all going together. Last week, we talked about discipleship, what, what, the, uh, what the calling of a disciple is of Jesus. It's mentioned in our, our mission statement a few times, so we wanted to address it. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? This morning, we're going to talk about how does that play out in your life, and more specifically in the life of Providence Road Church. How do we see and what have we put in place to help all of us grow up as disciples like we looked at in Ephesians 4 last week. So I'm going to read um, two brief passages of Scripture to get us started this morning. The first one is going to be from 1 Peter um, chapter 2, verse 9. That's where we're going to start. Verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And go over to Acts 2, verse 42 now. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and, distri- and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, once again for your word that we can come in here and we know when we're walking through God's word, we're hearing your voice. This is the primary way that you've revealed yourself to us. And so for the next 30 minutes or so, I pray that you would help us understand it, help us place our, kind of our ideas under it for this length of, for this, uh, a length of time, and, and, and help it, um, I pray you help us change our lives and change the way we live when we leave this place as a result of your word. And most of all, I pray that you're, you're glorified and you're honored during this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, like I said, we're going to be going through our vision and mission statements again. So, we'll have those on the screen because I want to read those once again to make sure we're on the same page. Our vision, why we exist as a church, is we exist, Providence Earth exists, to glorify God by leading people to find freedom and joy in Jesus. And we accomplish that by living as disciples who make disciples. We seek gospel saturation by demonstrating and declaring the gospel in all of life. Okay, so the, the thing we're going to focus in on today is how do we do that? How do we do that together as a church? And I want to make a statement here, and this is kind of the, the thesis statement of this morning. Um, it's this, that we can't grow up as disciples without brothers and sisters in Christ alongside of us. Okay, I'll say that again. We can't grow up as followers of Jesus. We can't grow up in our faith without brothers and sisters in Christ alongside of us, okay? 
we desperately need one another, if we want any chance of following Jesus for the long haul. You may be able to hack it for a short time, grow up in seasons, short seasons, but you cannot do it over the long haul without brothers and sisters in Christ alongside of you. And there was a, a study that I came across this week um, by the group Cigna. I'm going to uh, just, just go over a few of the findings here. And it's, they call it the, the 2018 U.S. Loneliness Index. Okay, so they're measuring loneliness. Okay, and uh, this is Cigna, and they, they surveyed 20,000 uh, U.S. adults to explore the impact of loneliness in the United States. And the survey revealed that most Americans are considered lonely according to how they set up the questions. They found that nearly half of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone or left out. One in four Americans rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them. Two in five Americans sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they are isolated from others. One in five Americans report that they rarely or never feel close to people or feel like there are people they can talk to. And around, only around half of Americans have meaningful in-person social interactions, such as having an extended conversation with a friend or spending quality time with family on a daily basis. And, and, and on the flip side, they found that those who, who uh, score um, better as, uh, as far as loneliness goes on their survey, there were some uh, a few, four in particular um, good qualities of not being lonely. It's people who aren't lonely have regular, meaningful, in-person interactions. They are in good overall physical and mental health. They are employed and have good relationships with their coworkers. And fourth, they have found balance in their daily activities, including getting the right amount of sleep, social, socialization, and work-life balance. Okay, so there are benefits to not being lonely. Like even as, as just human beings, we know that it's, it's um, not just Christians, but there are benefits to not being lonely. And, it's, and this is a serious thing. Like this is an epidemic, um, and this is why Cigna um, decided to do this study, right? Like, uh, no other time in the history of our world have we been more connected. And I use connected as a really low bar there because of the internet and, and having uh, phones that you can carry around in your pocket. Like we've never been more connected, yet we've never been more alone. Okay, and this is a problem. And I think it's a problem inside the church as well. Um, but here's the deal. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are in God's family, you, we have the benefit of one, getting to, to, to serve and, and be called a child of, of God. John uh, chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1 tells us that because uh, Christ gave us the right to become children of God, we are now in his family because of God's grace and his mercy. We are, we are considered his children. And because we're his children, everyone who is a follower of Jesus is considered a brother or sister of one another. So the benefit for us as followers of Jesus, we get to be a part of a family who loves us. Like we're in, when you're a follower of Jesus, when you're a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, you become a part of the family. This is a great benefit and a great weapon or something to push against this, this loneliness epidemic. And so the, the, the rest of our time, we're really going to look at how do we live this out at Providence Road? 
And we do this through what we call missional community. So we're going to spend a lot of time today talking through missional communities. And we use that language a lot. And we want everyone to understand what the purpose of those are. So the first passage we're going to dig into is 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to go back a little bit before the passage we read um, a moment ago and start in verse 4. So it says, as you come to him, Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then on to verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's a lot going on in this passage, but for our conversation today, the, the, the idea that I want to focus on is what theologians call the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer. And what what this means, in just a short statement, we could spend lots of sermons on this, but um, it means that all believers, all followers of Jesus, have equal access to God. Because Jesus made one sacri- a sacrifice once and for all. No other sacrifices need to be made. He is the mediator. He is the one. There, there doesn't need to be any more mediators since Jesus made that sacrifice. There doesn't, a priest doesn't need to be a mediator. A pastor doesn't need to be a mediator. A spiritual um, mentor doesn't need to be a mediator. We have access to God through the Holy Spirit that unites us. And we see this throughout this passage. He talks about in verse 5. He says, you're like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. So we're all these stones, with Jesus being the cornerstone. We're stones, each individual is being put on top of each other to build the spiritual house or the church. And together, we're the holy priesthood. And this isn't individualistic here. This is the priesthood. It's plural. So we're all priests through the Holy Spirit, being followers of Jesus. And so we don't have to have a mediator now other than Jesus between us and God. And he goes on in verse 9 to say, you're a chosen race. That's plural. A royal royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Okay, we're a people now. We're a group of people who've been saved by Jesus, who are together as the church. Okay, and one of the things I think we make mistakes about in our church culture is I think we understand this theologically, but oftentimes our churches are set up where the pastor is like a little priest. Like the, you're dependent upon the pastors and the staff and the, and the paid people to kind of get your fill, to be connected to God. You look to, to the pastors for your sustenance and not go to God directly. One of the goals we want to, to, to see for everyone here at Providence Road is to grow up and be able to feed yourself that you'll be able to take God's word and hear from God and learn from him without a pastor having to, having to be there or to teach you. Now, there are some things, obviously, that I think it's, it's good to lean on uh, pastors, but, but most of it should be done uh, between you and God, or at least a small group of, of people and God out at the fringes of the church. And one of the things we, we talk about a lot, at least internally, is pushing this priesthood of the idea of believer and taking it seriously and pushing it all the way to missional communities. So these missional communities feel like little expressions of the church. 
It's not a, an added-on program. It's not something that's optional. They are little churches that can do all the things that churches could do. Because we all have the Holy Spirit. They're together, and they're united under Providence Road Church. A passage we read earlier was a fee, I mean, uh, Hebrews 10. It's more of like an encouragement to us that the author of Hebrews gives us here in verse 24. It says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. If there, that, that could be our vision statement for any missional community. Just, it's a group of people that stir one another up to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together at, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, so that's the foundation for the biblical foundation for why we do what we do, why we, when we talk about missional communities and why we, we treat them as something that's, that's vital to the life of our church and vital to the life of you as an individual Christian. Let's go over to Acts 2 and starting in verse 42. And, and before I get into this, I want to set up what's just happened because this is a popular passage. We oftentimes just drop into this passage and start teaching on what the church is. But in the chapter before this, you had Pentecost, right? Like Peter gets up, preaches this sermon, the Holy Spirit just goes crazy, starts changing people's lives. You have the tongues of fire, you have miracles. God is moving in a mighty, mighty way. And it's just like, as, as I imagine, it's just kind of this beautiful chaos of God's grace just wrecking people. And then you have these leaders of the church, Jesus' closest disciples, coming after this saying, well, what do we do now? Like, the, all these people need to grow up in their faith. We need to figure out how to get them in places and in, 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 in kind of on paths that will act so they cannot grow up in their faith. They just don't believe one time, and now they're, they're done, right? So they start to, to organize themselves, it appears, into um, com- little communities called, I would say, churches in Acts 2. And this is where we'll start in verse 42. So after all of that happened... Holy Spirit moving, many, many people, thousands being saved, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, so there's two particular ideas that I want to touch on briefly out of this passage. There's a lot we could get into, but the first one's awe. Like this, this, this idea of they were in awe. Like there, there was this wonder and... Um, yeah, just, just, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a word that's hard to explain, but they were, they were in awe of what God was doing. They were in awe of this community that they were a part of based off what was God, God was doing in people's lives. So as this week, I started asking the question, how, how many times do we, do we come into a, a, a missional community environment or even an environment of, of believers, and even this morning maybe, and, and expect to be awed, expect to be moved to wonder about what God could do through his spirit. Now, I don't think we have to, I don't think if it doesn't happen, it's sometimes less of a gathering. I'm not saying that, but I think there's this healthy, having this healthy expectation of God can show up and God can move. Even if it's three guys sitting around for lunch as a part of a missional community gathering, I think God can show up in those moments through the conversations that we're having together. 
So I just think it's interesting that, that there was this, this awe came upon, and it says in verse 43, it says, the awe came upon every soul. That was interesting too. It doesn't say person, it doesn't say mind, it doesn't even say heart, it says soul. Like their souls were awed by what was happening. Just, I think, a, a really um, cool description that, um, that Luke here, as he's, as he's kind of passing on um, Acts here, is writing this. Um, and then the other word I want to focus on, this idea, and it's in, in verse 42, it's one of the first word mentions. It says, he says, and they devoted themselves to, to these list of things. They're, they were devoted to one another. They, they, this isn't, hey, they were, they were hanging out together, or they were kind of interested in doing these things, or even, hey, they were participating in these things. It says they devoted, they gave themselves. They, they gave themselves to each other. They gave themselves to the community. They gave themselves wholly to the things that they did as a community. You could also say love. I think love and devotion are very similar. They, they gave themselves so much that they loved uh, this community and what was happening. And going back to our mission statement, there's two words that are mentioned there, dem- demonstrate and declare. Okay, so what is happening in Acts 2 is the demonstration of the gospel within the, the, the church. So they're giving themselves to the, these other relationships and they're demonstrating the gospel. They're showing what the gospel looks like. I think a few aspects of this that are, that are seen in this passage and I can imagine being here that I want to just talk briefly about. One thing is presence. Right? They, were, they were present together. Um, verse 44 says, And all who believed were together. They were together. And they had all things in common. Um, and then in verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes. Right? So this was something that was a part of their life. They were present. You, and I think the lesson for us here is that we have to be present consistently with each other, to, to, to see these kind of things happen and to grow up in our faith. Um, Tim Chester, author, says this, and, and he's just really quoting Jesus, and not quoting Jesus, but re-quoting in a different way things that Jesus said. He says, the loyalties of the community supersede the loyalties of biology. And he had these places in the Gospels where Jesus is actually trying to raise the importance of the community of faith by saying, you know what, like your brothers and sisters are more important now than your actual nuclear family. I don't think Jesus is diminishing your kind of nuclear blood biological family. I don't think he's doing that, but he is raising the bar of the Christian community so much so that he's saying it passes it. Like our loyalty should be more to the community of faith than they should be to our biological um, mom, dad, brother, sister, uh, son, daughter. Okay? So there's something about being present with one another as a family for this to happen. Another thing is our, the investment, the investment we give the community here. We see that they're invested, they're all in, they're devoted. Um, I don't see a lot of consumers in this particular passage, right? Like, like the spirit was just so tangible and moving. Most of these people had just gotten saved, their lives had just gotten wrecked, so I think that kind of consumeristic thing was just weeded out of them and they were just so moved to say, I'm all in, I'm gonna give myself to this group of people. Did they benefit? Absolutely they benefited, but they didn't go in thinking, hey, what can I get from this? How can this affect me? How does this affect me? They, they first gave themselves to the community and of course they received the benefit after that, but they first invested um, in this group of people, okay? They were covenanted together, they got together and they 
they were doing all these things together and they were invested. Um, the other thing, kind of part of this is, is, is I think, um, the idea of being known. And this isn't explicit in here, but I can imagine that as people were, were coming into the life of the community, they were known. They were, they were transparent. They, were, they weren't hiding things. They came in and they were open because their lives had just gotten wrecked. They knew that Jesus knew all of their junk, all of their mess, and yet he still died for them. Therefore, they, they didn't have to hide they didn't have to pretend because the one whose approval mattered, mattered most, they had it now. So they could come into these spaces and not worry about parts of their story that were messy or what other people were going to think about them. And I know that that's hard and that's something we all have to work towards, but I think that is the ideal. I think that is the goal. Another couple of things that I'll just say, and this is really, um, I think for all of us, I've seen some of this and for sure for us, so I'm speaking to my family as well, that in difficult seasons, we are prone to pull out of community. So if something's crazy in our lives, if we're really busy, if we have this major life change, our kind of instinct is to pull away from people because I don't know if it's the time factor or we're a mess right now and I don't want to bring our mess into other people's lives because it just makes their life messy. But it, doesn't it make sense biblically when you read these passages that like when your life is a mess and things are chaotic and you don't know what to do, that's when we should be moving towards the people that can actually help us and support us and help us get through those difficult seasons. I mean, that's what family's for, right? Like, like so I think we need to fight that instinct that I think we all have to kind of retreat into our own kind of biological family space. We're going to just stay at home. We're going to make things easier on ourselves. And I don't think we really do oftentimes. I think we just take more of the weight upon ourselves when we could actually come to our community and our family to say, I need help. I'm a mess. I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. My life is, it's just falling apart. Please help. But we, the community can't help if, if there's this retreat and this distancing from the family. And then the last thing I'll say is spiritual gifts when we're talking about demonstrating the gospel in community. Missional community is the best place for your spiritual gifts to get worked out. Like on a given Sunday morning, there are only... We can't, ha- we can't have like, everybody in this room use their gifts on a typical Sunday morning. It's just, it's just not going to happen. And so, but God says we all have spiritual gifts, right? All of us have a gift. Um, we're called to use it. Ephesians 4, which we'll talk about here in a minute, tells us that's the way we actually grow up is when we're all using our spiritual gifts together, right? And so at the missional community level is the best place to figure it out. Some of you may be thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I've never had a, a pastor to church ask me to do anything. So I don't know what my spiritual gift is. And those are questions that we need to help you work out. And we encourage you to do that in the life of a missional community. So if that's you, go talk to your missional community leader or talk to a, a pastor and say, hey, I don't know what this is. I want to figure this out. And let, let, let the missional community provide opportunities for you to do some different things and decide, hey, did that, was that good? Did that feel right? Was that fun? Did God show up when I did that gift or whatever it is, okay? So we need to start working our spiritual gifts out at the missional community level, okay? Now, next, I want to move to, that's demonstrate. Now, I want to talk briefly about declare. We're not going to spend as much time on this, but I do want to go back to Ephesians 4 because I think this is the key passage for this. We'll start in verse 11. We're not, I'm just going to hit on a couple of points. If you want more detailed um, kind of digging into this, uh, listen to last week's sermon. We spent more time in it. But verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, 
until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Okay, so right there he's saying the goal is to grow up. The goal is to grow up in our faith so we're not spiritual children anymore. Like that's the goal. It's okay to be a spiritual child for a while, but he's saying eventually we need to be spiritual adults. We need to grow up. In the verse 15, um, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Okay, so that phrase, speaking the truth in love, he's telling us here, here is how you grow up. You speak the truth in love. Now, that's, that's kind of a strange phrase, but he actually helps us kind of define that. If we go into verse 21, a few verses down, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, okay? So if we're to speak the truth in love and the truth is in Jesus, we're, we're actually preaching and talking and telling each other the gospel. Like the gospel is the center of our conversations that help us grow up into our faith. So one of the primary things we want to see happen at missional communities is us actually talking and speaking the gospel into one another's lives. John uh, fourteen six. This is kind of echoes this. Jesus even says, "I am the way and the truth and the life, and nobody can come to the Father but through me." We often use that as an in it, as an evan, evangelical evangelistic uh, verse, but it's actually talk that can apply to believers as well. So the way we grow, the way we come to God, is through Jesus still, even as followers of Jesus. Okay, so here's an example of this because I know maybe so, this is new language for some of you. So. Um, one of the things I, I encourage people to think about is, is asking the question, how do you view God? Like, what, what role do you place on God as you think about him? The biblical, like, relational role, I think, that is most appropriate is father, right? That's, that's biblical, that's true. Now, when you think of God, do you think of a father? You think about that. When you just first instate, do you think of a father? Um, and I think that's what we all want, right? To, to have as much of our thoughts about God see him as a father. But we also, we all have stories. We all have baggage. We all have things that skew that. Um, some, some, um, some of us see God as a teacher or as like a coach or as a um, counselor, okay? And, and those aren't necessarily bad, but some of us who have, have a lot of brokenness in our family may see God as, a, as absent or as a tyrant, or as a father who is abusive, right? And so it's important for us to see God as father. Now, for me, growing up, athletics were a huge part of my life. Coaches had a, a major impact on me from little all the way through college. They, were, they had a big influence on me. Most of them were, were a good influence. And so for some reason, when I think of God the Father in his role, I still, if I'm not paying attention, I think of him as a coach, Think of him as a coach. And what that means is, is a good earthly coach will, after a game, tell you what you did good, tell you what you did wrong, take you to the film room, let's go over it, let's talk about it, let's actually practice the things that you did wrong and get better next time because we want to win the game. And so that's, that's a good earthly coach, right? But that's not a good picture of the Father because that is not what God does. Like, I don't have to go in every game wondering, I've got to perform a certain way or I'm going to get benched or I'm going to get worse off cut and removed from the team if I don't do a certain thing. 
or I, every time I do something wrong, uh, God's not going to be speaking over my shoulder saying, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. You need to be better, you need to be better, you need to be better. But I can fall into that trap as I live my life. So I need uh, people in my life who know that about me, right? That's part of my story. And then be able to say, hey, it seems like that you're tired because you're trying to perform. And you're, you're, how are you viewing God right now, Jeremy? Like, how, how have you been thinking about God this week? And I honestly can assess, yeah, like, I, I don't feel like the love and the nearness of the love of the Father. Like, at the end of the day, in my three-year-old, when I tell him to come up into my lap and let's talk about our day, and let's just, let's just be close, and let's, let's, let's hug, and let's cuddle, and I want to hear, and I want to connect. Like, that's not, that's hard for me to see God that way, honestly. But I need people in my life who said, the truth is that God is the one who wants you to come at the end of the day and metaphorically speaking, as we're children, to crawl up in his lap and just be with him and feel his nearness and feel his love and feel his approval. That's what I need to hear. And so I need people around me because I forget that. I'm sinful, I'm selfish, I'm narcissistic. I think about my own life way too much. So I need people to say, wake up, remember the truth. Remember he's father, he's not coach, he's not teacher, he's He's father. Let him be father to you. Okay, so that's part of my story, and that's, that's how we speak the, the truths of the gospel to one another. And you could go on and on forever doing that kind of stuff because we all need to hear different aspects of the gospel at different times, which is why we need to know the gospel, which is why we talk about it so much here, okay? Now, I want to move on to very, get more practical on the how. Let's talk about missional communities. Um, here's a, a kind of a, a mission statement of our missional communities. A family, and you'll notice similar language to vision and mission, which is done intentionally. A family, which we've been talking about today a lot, of disciples who make disciples by demonstrating and declaring um, the gospel. I should say the gospel. That's my fault. Declaring the gospel in all of life. Okay? Demonstrating and declaring the gospel in all of life. So, MCs are not, they're not a class. Okay? Will content be... Um, distributed in some way? Absolutely. We will do Bible studies and stuff, but it's not just a class, okay? It's a people. It's a family, okay? The si- uh, MCs are not a hangout time to make friends. Again, is it a place where you, we hopefully you make friends? Yes, but what happens when you make your friends in that group? The group, the MC does it, it, it the purpose is done. You, the purpose of the MC is done if you make friends, so therefore the MC is not important anymore because you have friends. So the end goal is not to make friends, but you, we hope that you make friends. Um, it's not just a meeting. It's not just something you come to once a week and say, I've, I've done missional community for the week. It would be weird in my home if I said, if you said, describe your family. Tell me about your family. Well, we eat dinner once a week. Jax, Nicole, and I do. Tell me more. Oh, we eat dinner once a week. That's, that's family for us. You'd be like, no, that's weird. That, sounds, that, that's, that doesn't sound like a, a healthy family. Okay? So it's not just a meeting. Do we have meetings? Absolutely. Like you have to have those meetings, but it's more than a meeting. Um, it's, it's more than a support group. It's, it, we hope you feel supported. We hopefully you feel cared for. But he, the same thing, once you feel healthy and, and whole and you get supported, why do you need the MC anymore if it's just a support group, right? Like it, it's more than a 10-step program where you're done after you go through those things. Um, it's not just a place where it has a smaller group of people of, ch- of the church I go to, of people in the church I go to. It is smaller, which is nice, but when we set up and thought about missional communities, it wasn't, well, this is a big room. We just need to get people in smaller groups so they know each other better. That's a part of it, but missional communities are so much more than that because the church is more than, hey, just know each other a little bit deeper. The church is so much more than that. 
Here's some slides that I, I love, um, and I'm going to go quickly through these. Um, this is a, um, a kind of a typical way we see our life. So there's an individual there on the screen. You have a calendar, maybe a task list, home, uh, you know, socials with the phone, you have food with the mug, and you have boss, that's work. So as an individual, we're juggling all these. This comes from a book called Total Church, just so I didn't. Um, I'm a really good artist. Not really, but I didn't draw this. So, uh, so that's how we normally view all our lives. Um, next slide. Um, this is how we should view our lives as a family. So all, the community is the center, the church, and we all have a spoke um, that's coming off. And so we come together as a community and ask, how can we help one another with our, with our juggling, with all these balls we have in the air? How can we come together and make it easier to live this life and this is kind of that back to the idea of when stuff is nuts, when you feel like you're dropping balls left and right, it's not, the, the time is not to go back in your own home and just keep juggling those balls. The time is to come to the community and actually let some of those balls drop and let other people pick them up. And this is a side-by-side, -side, the next one, just so you can see them next to each other. So that's kind of a visual of some of the things that like, we're talking about here. Again, this is, this is the ideal, right? This takes a long time to get through. Like this doesn't, you just don't show up and this, this starts to happen. But I do think this is the picture the Bible paints of community. So it is something to, I think, we need to aspire to. Um, thanks, Danny. You can take those down now. Um, the, um, so when we ask, the, this question's helpful. So if someone's in need, someone in the church, or even a, 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 someone who's not a follower of Jesus, a helpful question is that if this person was my father, mother, brother, sister, son, or daughter, would I help them? Like, if that was who they are, would I drop everything and care for them? And for most of us, most of us, the answer is absolutely yes. Like, I would do anything in the drop of a hat for, for my brother. Like, I mean, we're, we're, we're close. We're not, like, super close. We don't spend a ton of time together. But because just he's my brother, and I'm going to do anything for him. Um, do, we, do we see people in the church or even outside the church? Do we serve people and lay down our lives for, for people in the same way? way, okay? Now, I want to end kind of this, this uh, the last section here with some, some I want to lay out some expectations, and, and this, the credit for these two kind of processes that we're going to throw up here um, is a, a pastor by the name of John Tyson in New York City. Um, he's done uh, a, a lot of good work, and I think training people to understand uh, relationships. Um, so this is, I'm helping with, if you're, if you're in community right now, I'm, I guarantee you felt all these things, right? And so maybe I'm giving you language for it, or if you haven't tried any uh, community before and this is new to you, I'm helping you by saying this is what's going to happen, right? So with any new group of people or church, you're excited. You come into a place, you're excited. You're like, this is it. This is awesome. Like, I, I'm here. This may last uh, a week or it may last a year. But there's going to be a point, and maybe this isn't any relationship, right? But uh, at some point, there's going to be disillusionment. Like, okay, I didn't know it was going to be this way or this is unexpected, or wait a minute, like I, this is not what I signed up for, okay? Um, and, and the hard part is, is usually with at disillusionment, it's really uncomfortable, and we just want to go back to excitement. We leave, like, well, that's not exciting anymore, so I'm going to top off the train, and I'm going to get back in line and do the excitement thing again. And it works for a while. And then you hit disillusionment. You're like, well, that didn't work. Um, I'm going to try something else. Get back in line and go through it again. But what we need to do is, the third step there is actually recognize it. Like, stop and not panic and recognize, wait a minute. Like, nothing's perfect. 
this group of people isn't perfect, recognize that, okay, this is, this is what the Bible describes, right? This is hard. Like, this is, it's hard doing this stuff together. Um, one of the things that we can, we throw out this community idea a lot, and, and we forget that all of the letters written in the New Testament, well, most of the letters written, were a response to a, a jacked up community. Like, a messed up community caused Paul to write most of his letters, so this Acts 2 stuff, sometimes we get a little like, this is pie in the sky. I do think this is the, the ideal and the goal. But, like, it's hard. It's going to be a mess. And so when we hit that disillusionment stage, we need to push through it and recognize, okay, I'm going to give this a chance. I'm going to press in. I'm going to do the things, some of the things we see in Acts 2 on my own. And then that, that, that unconditional kind of agape love, like agape love, the love that Jesus shows us, that, that you love people um, in spite of who they are, not because of who they are, but in spite of who they are, you love them um, because you, you, you're, you've pushed through that idea of dissolution. And there's promises. I think the scripture, there's promises in here and benefits that come together when, when, when you have family around you, a spiritual family. You ask anybody, I think, in church that has a group of people that they do life with in a church, I guarantee you they probably pushed through some stage of disillusionment before they got to like, this is my family. These are my people. I love them. And it wasn't excitement to love. It doesn't happen that way. So that's just kind of a, hey, this is probably what's going to happen. Prepare for it. Now, I want to get the next process is getting a little bit more personal, okay? So these are more relational stages. John Tyson talks about him here. He says, when we first meet somebody, come into a community, we don't know any facts about him probably. So in our mind, we have kind of cliches, stereotypes, and I'm just talking about, hey, this person's that old, so they probably have kids. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Not like bad stereotypes. Just, you just, you just kind of have to guess. But then quickly, after even a 10-minute conversation, you start to develop facts about a person, right? Like, okay, well, I understand them, a little bit about him. But then the longer you, you spend time with someone, now you notice your opinions start to differ on things. Maybe um, you don't line up politically with them. Maybe you have different opinions on how to raise your kids. And then you have your preferences mixed in here. And now here's that point of like, and, and then, and then to, to swing around to the fourth step, their emotions. So your, your emotions get involved. Well, I didn't know they were like this, or I didn't know they thought this, or I didn't know they believed this about this. And so now our emotions get tied up into this, right? And you're like, what did I do? Who is this person? They make me feel uncomfortable. I don't want to be around them. And then typically we go back the other direction, through, and, and, and then we kind of dismiss them as a stereotype. Well, they're just that way because of this. So now we excuse ourselves of like going deeper into relationship with them. We say, well, they, they just don't, they don't, they're not like me. They're, they make me feel a little uncomfortable. So I'm just not going to try anymore. Okay. But in, when we feel those emotions rise up, this is that point of recognition again. This is where the gospel is helpful. Back to, back to ourselves, having enough self-awareness and humility to say, you know, I don't think our preferences lined up with Jesus when he lived and died and rose for us. Right? Like, like Jesus didn't love us because we got ourselves cleaned up. Or he didn't wait until we kind of saw things eye to eye with him and then he decided to go to the cross to save us. No, like in our mess, at our worst, Jesus died for us. At our worst. And so as we preach the gospel to ourselves, I think that, that those, those emotions that come with our preferences and opinions, they soften a little bit. And we realize they're just preferences. Like we, we sanctify our preferences and think, because I like it this way, it must be truth. It must be absolute truth because I like it this way. And then we apply that to our relationships. And if they don't match up, then we're like, yeah, 
I, I don't have time for that. I'm, not, I'm only going to hang out with people that I, that I, that I like or that I, I agree with, right? But that's not agape love. Agape love is moving towards somebody in spite of who they are and working through that. Um, this is the love that Jesus has shown us. While we were yet sinners, rebels, wicked, sinful people, Christ died for us. That's who he died for. And so because he's shown us that love, because he's poured the spirit into our hearts and, and, and it helps us feel God's love and we know what God has saved us from, that should change the way we treat other people. Should give people some slack, give people a break, unconditionally love people. And what that does is once you start doing that, it allows you to be more vulnerable, right? Like once you give yourselves to a community, you, that vulnerability, that being known, that this, this, these people know my junk and they still love me. Like, that's where we want to get. We want to be able to be ourselves around people and feel completely loved, completely accepted, and, 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 and be heard, and, 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 and to work through our differences together and things we don't match up on beliefs and all of those things. It doesn't mean that we have to always agree on things, but the way we approach preferences and disagreements changes once we get to that, that love and vulnerability stage. But here's the deal. Like, once you decide to be vulnerable, there's a risk that you're going to get hurt. Because when Jesus came to earth to lay down his life for us, what happened? Like in his vulnerability, in his love, he, he, he wasn't treated well. He was killed. Like when he came out and who he really was and what his plan was on earth, they killed him for it. So there's no promise that when you put yourself out there that you're going to like re get received with complete love. And that's scary and that's dangerous. But once again, we, ha we have the approval and the security and the unconditional love of God the Father. And it's not going anywhere. It's secure. Nothing can snatch that out of his hand. And if we know that and we believe that, now the relationships that happen in our life, they don't have to completely approve of us or it'll, or it'll kill us. You know, we, we, can, we can disagree. We can be disapproved. People can let us down and it's not the end of the world. Now, I want to say this. Like, if you're moving into community, especially in Providence Road, like this isn't, you're not like signing your name in blood, right? Like if you're going to a missional community, right? There are times when it may be time to switch missional communities. I understand that. But what I'm trying to prevent here is that like that, that becomes a very quick excuse to bail on a group of people or bail on a church or bail on even friendships that you have in your own life. This applies to all relationships and friendships, I think. Um, but if you're in a place that you're thinking about throwing in the towel, on a church, on a relationship, on a missional community, like just stop and have you, have you processed that with God? Have you prayed through that with God? Have you talked to that other person that you have something against? Like that usually works itself out most of the time and your actually community is stronger when you actually just go to somebody and, and confess, hey, I've, I've, I'm, I've, 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 I haven't loved you well. I've been a little angry at you. I've been frustrated with you. Let me tell you why and let's just clear the air a little bit. Okay, that's, that's being a family, right? We, we squabble, we fight. That's what biological families do. That's it's kind of expected. The same thing is going to happen in the church, okay? So let's not make that an excuse. And I will say that this is messy. This is hard. This is, but this is the part of church life I think it's worth fighting for because there are so many benefits. Back to the loneliness study. Like, we are lonely. As a hum humanity is lonely right now. And I would, ask, I, would, I would challenge you to ask yourselves, are you lonely? Nope, not talking about your Facebook friends. I'm talking about your likes on Instagram. Those things that I mentioned at the beginning, does that describe you? And be honest with yourselves. There'll be a time here in a second to, to be able to deal with that. Last thing I want to say this. Um, there is a missional component to this. Rodney Stark, sociologist, historian in Christianity, says the, the primary way 
that the Roman Empire became a Christian empire was because of the love of followers of Jesus. It wasn't necessarily political. It, it didn't all happen at once because Constantine converted. Um, it was small bands of people over hundreds of years after Jesus ascended back to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. They loved one another radically, and it messed with people. And over time, it took more ground and more ground and more ground in the Roman Empire because they couldn't figure it out. It's weird, but it's good. And once you tasted it, you're like, okay, this is, this is what I need. Who, what God? What God do you serve? Tell me more about this God, this Father that y'all keep talking about, the way y'all are treating one another, because I, I want some of that. Like, that is the way I think um, our country can be changed by the church. There are other ways as well, but there's a missional component to this. And Jesus said, they'll know you by your fruit. Like, I mean, they'll, they'll know you by your love for one another. That's a different place. They'll love you by your love for one another, right? They, they, the world will see, and they will want to know me because of your love for one another. Let's pray. Father, I just want to say we need help. We need your spirit, um, like in Acts 1, to come, to be present in our lives, to help us live this lifestyle of family out together. Because this is really, really hard stuff. This is where it's so much easier just to, to, to live life as an individual, to go on about our own business, to take care of ourselves and, and not have to, to, to put up with dis people who disagree with us and who hurt us. And it's easy to be sensitive and just throw in the towel on relationships. Father, help us. Help us remember the gospel and remember that Jesus is our model, that he loved when, when we didn't love he gave of himself when we weren't going to give of ourselves. He moved first in relationship to us. So I pray through your, your spirit would help us. Help us look like Jesus in this area. And so we can give glory to you and not take glory upon ourselves because we're awesome or we're, we're, this, we're this awesome loving people who, who get it all right. No, that's not it. We're, we're people who've been forgiven and who people who've been loved so well. And we have the spirit now that we... We want to love others. Help us, help us have that desire. It's in your son's name we pray.